today changes my whole entire life. Welcome to Gridability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen, and with me is the beautiful and ever-radiant Ro Clausen. Hello. Hello. You are glowing. I'm glowing? I love you that. You are. Yes. So definitely excited today to dive right in. Um, we were talking about you know, a multitude of different topics and really what just the two of us today, we're in here in the studio together and we wanted to talk a little bit more about some of those things that have been most, I guess, um, instrumental in kind of shaping who we are, how we got here and uh, going back to, uh, yeah, I, I guess some of the early days. I like it. Let's go. Take me back there. Well, you and I were having a conversation, right? And it stemmed from this morning. Uh, you know, I do my usual routine, right? I get up, I get out, go for a run, hit a quick lift in the gym, and the pool is right there. And I dreamed about the pool for years, right? Being in prison, like, it's hard to get a five-minute shower, right? If you get an extra five minutes in a shower, like, you're winning. And that's a big deal. So for me to be able to hop in a pool, especially this time of year, water is so nice. I mean, it's just a great way to start the day. But I don't always take time to like sit and reflect and really enjoy it. So this morning I was doing that. Um, I'm hanging out in the pool after I finished doing a couple laps and had a bit of a flashback. So I'm in the pool. It's quiet. It's still. It's peaceful. And I had a flashback to I was about 10 years old. 10 years old when I had first moved out to New Jersey, just my mom and I, you know, moved from the Midwest to the East Coast, big changes. I was the new kid, totally out of place. This skinny little kid from the Midwest that everybody assumed, you know, I'm from Wisconsin. You grew up on a farm. I didn't, but they all assumed I was, you know, grew up on a farm. And anyways, they were rough, man. And everybody in my neighborhood was older. You know, there was a couple of us that were younger, but like I was the young kid. I was the new kid. I was totally out of place. And summers had always been something for me to look forward to. So here I am my first summer in New Jersey. And there was a little pool kind of there in the community. And I'm at the pool early one morning, you know, right after it opened up, the lifeguard gets there. I get there, I hop in and... A uh, couple of those older kids, I think they were about, you know, they were maybe freshmen or sophomore in high school. I'm in fourth grade, right? I'm 10 years old. I'm a kid. I'm a child. And we're in the pool and these guys, you know, start making comments, horsing around and they move towards me pretty aggressively, but I don't think anything of it, right? We're kids. I think we're just playing around and the two of them uh, proceeded to push me under and try and keep me under repeatedly to where uh, I'd come up, I'd get a brief breath, and they were forcefully pushing me back under. They were both much bigger than me. Uh, and it, like it set in, and I was comfortable. I'm still very comfortable in the water. I, I swim well, uh, but I started to panic. Like I knew it was serious. I was running out of air. Like they were seriously trying to drown me. Jesus. And there was malice, like it, there was clear intent there. Um, and at that point, man, I grabbed one kid by the nuts and just twisted. And, you know, as a kid, you use whatever you need to use. And especially in a situation like that, man, to get out of it. Uh, and I remember, uh, I don't know if I meant to hurt him at the time, but I know I did. And I know it was enough for me to get away. And I got out of the pool and I was panicked. And I remember the lifeguard was, you know, it's some other young kid. She was probably in high school too, or maybe just graduated, hardly paying attention to what's happening. And I'm like, God damn, like, did you not see that? They just tried to drown me. 
And she's like, what? What happened? I'm like, oh my God, I would have been drowned float, floating in the deep end by myself, right? And nobody would have been there to stop it. Uh, and I point to that. And the reason why I, I share this is because it's one of those pivotal moments in my youth that stands out. It was a traumatic experience that definitely shaped many of the interactions that I had from that point forward. I wasn't a violent kid prior to that. After that, I responded with some pretty extreme violence, right? I hit a kid with a skateboard. Um, I chased people with knives from out of the butcher block in the house. This was, um, just to clarify, this was to protect people or this was just... This was me to protect myself. Okay. Um, when those kids in the neighborhood came after me, they were all older, they were all bigger, um, and I did whatever I thought I needed to do to protect myself. And sometimes that meant me at the first sign of anything, you know, where I felt started to feel threatened, I, I went to the complete extreme. If there was a bat around, I grabbed a bat and started chasing people with a bat. And although that sounds crazy, um, at the time, you know, as a kid, I didn't have anybody there. Like, there wasn't a big brother around to protect me. None of those older kids were ones, like, nobody intervened. Like, it was really, it. they let it go as far as they could go. So I remember a number of those instances. And the reason I bring all this up is because... I learned how to respond in a certain manner to those situations anytime I felt threatened, right? Um, so that shaped my thinking early on. It left an, uh, an indelible impression on me. Uh, it was traumatic. I mean, the fact that I'm in the pool at age, I'm almost 50 years old. 25. <laughs> I'm almost 50 years old, and we'll we'll get to a little bit of you know pride on on aging and taking good care of ourselves in a little bit. But regardless of that, all these years later, the fact that this should be a serene, peaceful moment, first thing in the morning, I'm in the pool by myself, and that's what comes to mind. Man, that's how deep some of this trauma runs, and I wanted to express that because hurt people hurt people, right? That's generally how trauma works. And I saw a lot of that in the system, right? Those people who were the most aggressive, the, the most ruthless, violent dudes were often the most damaged. Had a conversation just last week with one of them, a guy who at this point is just like, Man, I, I'll do whatever it takes to get my life on track. He's like, I've been that guy in prison where, you know, stabbed people, made a name for himself, just acted absolutely crazy. Um, and he's at a point where he reflects on the trauma that was, uh, you know, that he incurred early on in his life being, he opened up and said, you know, he was sexually abused Ooh. by a family member. He was beaten mercilessly by his father. Um, and having exposure to these things early on, like that set a pattern for him. Like, and and it created that deep trauma where, you know, he learned how to react to certain situations. But eventually, you know, you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, this doesn't work anymore. This isn't healthy. Like, I need to do things differently. Or you have a son, right? Mm -hmm. You have a son and you realize, I don't want to pass on to my son those things that were either passed on to me or that I learned early on. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that what I model, what I show him is healthy, is strong, is positive. And likewise, um, what he's exposed to, I'm going to do everything that I can to protect him from seeing, experiencing things that he doesn't need to be exposed to, right? Like, I don't want to shelter him. I don't want him to uh, 
become, what's the term? A snowflake. I don't want them to become a snowflake, right? White, soft, fluffy. No, he will never be that. Our son will never be that, right? Um, And that's a term that a friend of mine threw. That's, That's what he called his kids, right? And I'm like, whoa. You know, our, our son will never be that. Um, I want him to be strong. I want him to be confident. I'm going to ensure that he is. We will ensure that he is. We'll model all those behaviors to make sure that that's what he sees. And that's what he does. He learns that early and he's going to act that out. Uh, and likewise, for us to put him in an environment where he is protected, he is safe, he is secure and we expose him intentionally to those outside experiences that are going to be uncomfortable, right? They're, they're going to challenge his views. They're going to challenge him to think about his experience, um, what he's been given in life, and what others have not. But we're going to do that on our terms, right? There's a difference. There are so many people that grow up in environments where they are exposed to things that they should not be exposed to early on. And then we as a society, right, wonder how they end up becoming adults that do all sorts of seemingly atrocious, no, not seemingly, atrocious things to other human beings, right? They act out on that trauma. So, and for me, you know, I talk about my crimes and how I was able to somewhat justify some things in my young, immature, uh, irrational thinking. I was like, well, these people are all involved in the game, right? They know what they're getting into. It doesn't matter, man, woman, young, old, if they're involved in illegal activity, like they're part of the game, they know what they're involved in. And that's not the truth, right? Like I use that to justify many of the, the crimes that I committed, the people who were harmed directly, indirectly, I'm like, ah, collateral damage, whatever. As an adult, giving that much more attention and thought, you know, a lot of people um, were harmed. A lot of people did not have that choice. I had other options, right? I pissed my options away. You know, I could have gone to college. I had a scholarship. I had things lined up. I threw that away. That was my choice, even though I was a very young man. Um, I still had that choice. There's plenty of other people who grew up in environments where they didn't have that choice. There were people involved in the places that we robbed, you know, Asian massage parlors run by Asian organized crime that had, you know, gambling, prostitution, drugs, all these things in them. The majority of the people involved in those businesses, like knowing what I know now, they didn't have a choice. Like they were trafficked. Families were held hostage, you know, like, listen, you're going to work here. You're going to be a part of this organization. You're going to do this or else, or else your family's going to die. Like that's not a choice. And to grow up like that's, that's a terrible existence, right? And to live under that level of threat, constant threat. Um, you can imagine how stressful that is. So, uh, realizing at this stage of my life that I have it very good, um, but I'm also conscious of those things that shaped me early on, my thinking, um, my habits, my responses to certain situations that just weren't normal, you know? So, um, wow, that all started with the bullying, right? And that's why, for me, um, as an adult, like whenever I see someone being bullied, I feel like, I feel a responsibility to be the person to step up because no one stepped up for me, right? I found myself on an island more times than I can count. And I guess I've just become more comfortable taking that stand and knowing that I have you always have my back to support me. Um, We could say, uh, we talked about previously, the U.S. attorney said, listen, if if you want release after 20 years in prison, they said, the only way we're going to grant you relief is if you agree to cooperate with us. 
I'm like, cooperate. I don't have anything to give you after 20 years, right? You just want me to tap out and, you know, give over, hand over my credibility, everything that I've worked to establish. I'm like, nah, I can't do that. That was a form of bullying, right? And I've become much more comfortable taking a stand. I did that in prison numerous times. And there were individuals um, that I felt like, man, I need to take a stand and make sure that this person has a chance. Now, you know, that comes at a cost sometimes, right? And I always had to weigh that out. I'm not saying I was able to do that every single time, but believe me, whenever I see it, that's what goes through my mind. What can I do in this situation, right? How can I, you know, be the positive influence, be the person to help ensure that this person doesn't get hurt? It's funny because that's the reason why I asked you way back when you were telling the bullying story and how then you would go get bats and knives and all of that stuff. That's why I asked you, were you protecting other people in those instances? Because that's what I see in you constantly. And I've seen you time and time again stand up for people who are being bullied or who don't stand up for themselves. Specifically, and very often, it's a, a woman who is being misused, mistreated, bullied, for lack of a better term. And which is even, it's kind of interesting to me, the response that we got to our Dana White episode mm. when we responded to that slap incident because people were like, because of your stance, which was kind of our stance, people were like, oh my God, Ro, are you okay? Like blink twice if you need help. And and it, it first of all, I was defensive at first glance. And then I thought about it, um, it was kind of comical to me because of how far beyond you go in the other direction. And I think what people misinterpreted was you opened up that episode by saying, this is tough. It was a tough response for you to give your opinion, I think because of different, re I mean, I can't speak for you, but my assumption is because of different reasons, because number one, you have people that are close to him in your life. Number two, it's just a tough thing to respond to when somebody's life is laid out there for people to see, and we only see this much of it. So mm -hmm. I think people misinterpreted that, and that's why they were like, oh, we don't like this one. My view of Adam changed. Ro, are you okay? You know, and that could be the furthest that couldn't be the first thing from the truth because of how I've seen you protect not only me, not only me and CJ, but people that you barely even know, you know, strangers on the street, turn the car around, let me go help this person. Mm. Well, you bring up a, a, that's a great segue into the subway conversation. Oh, that was a good conversation. Okay. Well, yeah, go ahead. Well, first of all, with the Dana White situation, no, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I was just really going to say something out there. But Say uh, it! No. Listen, for, for all the people, um, listen, Dana did what he did. His wife did what she did. You know what I mean? Like, we can go back and forth all day. I never, and I was very clear on this, like, I'm not going to condone a man ever hitting a woman, period. I don't think that should happen. That's me, but there are plenty of women who feel very strongly that they can go ahead and punch a guy right in the face, right? And, and to <laughs> like, and and here's where I'm saying I don't think it's right, but if a guy hits you back and you just punched him in the face, like you you can't have it both ways. Like well, I don't think that should happen. Period. And in our defense, there were plenty of comments that said that as well. But you know, you always like harp on the negative ones and the pitbull wants to come out. And that's yeah. kind of also a good segue, right? Because on social media, right, it's a perfect world. And in a perfect world, first of all, a man would never hit his wife. But we see the highlight reel of people's lives. And it's very easy to glamorize it and to think that we live in a perfect world. And then to, to what's the word I'm looking for? Like cancel or condemn people for normal everyday life. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell the subway part? Well, the subway part is interesting because it was when the story first came up on the news and you and I were talking about it, your response, your immediate response was shaped by the way that the media had brought it to you. Do yeah. you want to convey that part? And then sure. where I came in and said, let me share an experience that I just had. Sure. And it turned my, it, 
turn my view on it. So th- we're talking about a story that was in the news maybe like a month back, a few weeks back, where there was this homeless man who walked onto the subway, maybe New York City. I can't remember exactly where. It was where. New York City, yep. And um, he was having a mental health episode. And this is the way I remember it. Maybe I have a couple of facts wrong, but he was either talking like he was going to approach somebody and harm them or he was about to. It was something along those lines. And then there was a man who was a veteran, right? A veteran and two others. And two others in the back of the subway that kind of pounced on him and they were um, subduing him. Is that the word? Yeah. God, why am I so lost for words no, today? No, that'd be the right word. But they were holding him down and they wound up choking him to the point where he passed away. He didn't make it. So my initial response, along with everybody else on social media and in the media, was, oh, my God, that guy needs to be, you know, it's murder. That guy totally had no right to do that to that man. And he needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, blah, blah, blah. And people were getting upset that possibly that he wasn't. Oh, it's because he's a veteran. It's this, it's that. And everybody has this, like, firm stance against it. And I was telling you, and I was telling you that was my stance and you conveyed a different a different perspective. Oh, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I was like, that guy's a hero. And everyone is, first of all, you know, he's a veteran, served this country, should be given every benefit of the doubt. And what I conveyed was my recent experience on the DC subway, very similar situation. And the first thing I said is, thank God you and CJ weren't with me because for me, that's always an extra consideration. So I'm on the subway, doors pop open, right? I've got all my luggage. I'm taking the metro out to the airport. This guy gets on and clearly he's got some mental health issues himself. Comes on and says, all right, all right. He's like, listen, man, I don't want to make it a stick up. He's like, I'm just going to sing. I'm going to tell some jokes and y'all going to give me some money so I don't have to take anybody's property i don't have to take this woman's purse like you right over there and you said she looked petrified well he walked right up on her there's like four or five guys on the other side of this woman and they look and they all look away and i'm like oh these fucking cowards man i'm like here i am right only white guy on the metro at this point and this elderly woman who You know, and we always talk about this, like women, you know, want equal rights, except when it's time when a woman is threatened, right? Then the expectation for me is like, I am not going to let this woman, she's not going to get robbed. She's not going to get taken advantage of. This guy's not going to hurt her. Like I can't sit here and not do anything. But what's also going through my mind is, God damn, I'm going to jail. Because when the Metro police show up, right? And if this guy is choked out because that's my thinking like i'm not trying to physically harm him right i'm trying to control the situation and i've done this in the past and if you can see some of the marks on my face it didn't always work out well right sometimes when you're trying to control a situation that's not the best approach right sometimes it requires violence and i'm just being frank with this if you have someone who is not mentally um, coherent and they're not going to respond to reason to think that you could sit there and rationalize and say, listen, sir, you really don't want to do this, right? You're making a huge mistake. And if the police come and find that you stole this woman's purse, you're going to go to jail. This guy doesn't give a shit. He doesn't care about going to jail. He clearly, he doesn't even have a place to sleep tonight. He's ready to, you know, rob her for her purse for a couple of dollars, Do you think he cares about going to jail for the night? Like, that's not the concern. My concern in the present moment is to make sure that that woman does not get harmed. So what do I do? I slide my cases to the side. I put my phone in my pocket and I'm sitting there. I'm up, you know, leaning forward. I'm like, God damn, I'm in DC. I'm not in my own city. What am I going to do? How am I going to get a call out to row if something does happen so that they know I'm okay? This whole chain of thoughts I'm on U.S. parole, like going back to prison for trying to do the right thing. All these things go through my mind. And thank God we came to a stop. The doors pop. This guy made some comments, kind of like moved towards a woman, but then took off out the door. 
And I just breathed a sigh of relief. And I'm like, I was so close. And I have been in that situation numerous times in my life since I decided to live a right and just life, right? To do the right thing, to, to look out for other people. But I'm like, I know the consequences for me. Like the law is not on my side. I'm a repeat violent offender. Like me doing the right thing in that situation is probably going to result in some negative consequences for myself, for us. But I'm still going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what I believe is right. So when this story comes up and I hear about this guy, army veteran, who grabs this guy who's trying to assault someone on the subway puts him in a submission. He chokes him out. It's super unfortunate. I feel very bad for the individual, for his family, everybody involved. It was a mental health issue, right? That caused him to act that way. But that guy did what he felt he needed to do to protect the other people in that subway. So all these people who are speaking out, talking about he should go to prison, he should do this, like, like it was intentional. Like, do you want to deter someone from making sure that your mother, your sister, your daughter, that vulnerable person on the subway is protected because there's no cops on the subway? Like, when's the last time you were on the subway, right? And you rode and saw one of those people come through and were like, oh my God, let me protect my pocket. Like, I hope this guy doesn't stop and talk to me. You would want that army veteran to jump in and make sure that he had your back. Yeah. And when you gave me that perspective, I put myself on the train, put myself in those shoes, me and CJ, and it did shift my perspective. And just, I always feel the need to qualify and be PC. And I'm going to say this, but that's going to segue us to another point. Mm -hmm. But you said it, and I want to reiterate, it is tragic that that man died. It is so unfortunate. In a perfect world, he wouldn't have a mental health problem. This wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have been on that train. He would have been on a beach somewhere doing whatever he wanted to do in his perfect life. But that's not the world we live in. But the world of social media has created these perfect world scenarios so everyone can scream from the rooftops, oh, uh, prosecute that male man to the fullest extent of the law. But the problem is, had you or your loved one or your child been on that train, you would, and he was coming for you, you would have hoped that somebody stepped in. And that's the problem that I believe the world we live in right now is people are those other men on the train or those other people on the train. And they're looking from their their phones and they're thinking, okay, it's got nothing to do with me or God, that poor woman is about to get pounced, but I'm not going to do anything because I can't because it's going to go all over social media and I'm going to be the bad guy. I'm going to go to jail. And that's what they're more worried about and concerned about because of what this society has come to. Snowflakes. 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 That's what they are. It's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war. Right? Love that quote. I mean, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants someone to be there to protect them because the reality is in this day and age, people are not equipped to protect themselves. And I blame those people. I blame them for not doing the work not being able to protect themselves, to protect their families. If you want a different outcome, you know, you got to do more, become more. Like, that's what I say. Don't put it on somebody else. I agree. And, but also for a small percentage of people, going back to what I was saying, it's that, you know, you're calculating every move and every thought is calculated especially for somebody like you that's on paper. Cause I could tell you right now, we're going to get a slew of comments of people that said, why did Adam have to say he was the only white guy on the train? And I know why And we're, people are saying I'm unfollowing. I know why. Cause that goes back to prison. Right. Uh, I know exactly. Why, why do I say that? Why did Adam say that? Why did Adam have to Listen. add that part in? Because this is how people's minds. Well, it's a great point. Let's touch on it. Why did Adam have to add in the fact that he was the only white guy on the train is because the reality is that nobody in society wants to talk about. There is a racial dynamic to all situations. We have cultural differences and those things to ignore the fact that they exist is to not have a real conversation. That's the reality. People are just uncomfortable having those conversations and I'm not, I address them head on. I mean, I've lived as a minority in an environment because of systemic racism, which is dominated primarily by minorities within our criminal justice system, I, by de facto, became the minority 
within that system. So that's a strange twist on things, which makes me always conscious of those dynamics. So if I include those in the conversation, there's a reason for it. It's to say that I clearly stood out, right? Like, and I stand out most places I go anyway, so it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't know why it's a big big deal for me to point something like that out. Oh, oh, it, oh! Believe me, I've seen comments and see these kind of conversations see? on a public platform make me cringe and I <laughs> crawl into my skin because I've been on the receiving end of those types of comments online for years, and I shouldn't give a shit. I should care less. Yeah. But it bothers me because I always feel the need to have to defend and protect. And I guess this goes for me. Talk about trauma back to all of those years that I spent defending our relationship and mm. us and you, and he's not a bad guy. And yes, he's a lifer, but he didn't kill anybody. And me always feeling like I was defending, having to go over and beyond to make you appear to be the good guy that you are, right? And I shouldn't care. As long as I'm happy, I shouldn't care. But I think it's all just come to this point where I can hear things that you're saying and I'm like, oh fuck, I'm gonna have to go clean that one up online and I shouldn't have to care. And that's funny because that's another one of our notes that we wanted to touch on is that- Go ahead. Because <laughs> I really don't care. That's why I don't read most of the comments. I let her convey them to me and I really don't give a shit what people think. And no, it's no, no, not- let me let me yeah. take that back. I don't care what they say. I do care what people think because perception- does matter but for those few that are out there that are gonna pick something listen that's your insecurity it's not well, mine and it's not that you don't care about people you care very very much about people mm -hmm. you don't care when people take and twist your words and put yeah. them in their own agenda to make it some sort of big issue that it's not because just like what happened with that subway conversation right i could have gotten defensive and been like no da, 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 da. but the reality is i took a couple steps back and said let me put myself in those shoes and realize hell if i was on that train as horrible and horrific as that situation was. And it's a shame that somebody lost their life if it was me on that train, either by myself with CJ or with the three of us. And that was happening. I would have been petrified because I am that woman on the train. I've watched way too much true crime that I, I'm holding the baby. I'm trying to figure out where everything is. I'm watching everybody coming in and out the door. Listen, we were like that. There were times when we were on the train in D.C., where I want to say there were some, not even just on the train in DC, there, there have been plenty of places where we as a family are not necessarily like how many people are, are, are taking the, uh, the Metro out from, from where we were as a family crammed on there with all of our luggage, a handful of people are doing it, right? We were, I was perfectly comfortable doing it. But there were times where we're hustling, like people are looking at us like, oh, you guys are out of place here. Yeah. You're clearly not from here. And listen, if, if again, I'm always assessing the situation, like people are never going to look at us and see victim. I promise you that. You know what I mean? And that's, I feel very strongly about that. But I also am aware after all my years in prison that there is a way that you need to carry yourself um, with a level of confidence, assurance, or in life, you will become a victim, right? There are plenty of people in this world who are looking for victims. That will never be us. So I make no apologies for that. Um, and that's a part of how we live, right? It's when, when I talk about, you know, our lifestyle, being around healthy, strong uh, and promoting that to our son, that's what I want to promote, you know, coming from a place of strength and confidence always. Yeah. And so where do that, where does that confidence come from? <laughs> where does it come from? Daily freaking discipline, man. Do it every single day. You know, when I post pictures online, like topless pictures, it's not for OnlyFans. But it should be. We could use the money. <laughs> it's not vanity. I'll show it. Look. Look at that. You want to know the reason for that? I'll show it again. You don't get that without daily discipline, right? 
doing the hard work every single day. And for all these other people that complain, oh, just treat yourself, just do that. You guys are torturing yourselves. No, it's not. It's not. The reason I am here today is because I did the work every single day. You cannot question my commitment. You cannot question my discipline. And it shows. This is the physical representation of it. That's why I take pictures with my shirt off. I'm almost 50 freaking years old, man. Like, and unfortunate, like my parents, right? You can't say it's great genetics because neither one of them is doing so well right now. And it's great. It's such a frustration because I watch how just they're not mobile. They're not able to be active. They're not living the quality of lives that they should be living because they have not taken that great of care of themselves like we do to ensure that we're here long term, to ensure that we are healthy and strong. Like if anything that I say, like commitment that I make, if you ever doubt me, Go look at my pictures. Go look at my pictures because this is not show. George, can I get a witness here? Yeah. No, I've I've literally said it to multiple people at the studio. I'm like, how intimidating is it to live in an apartment complex and then see like you just fucking going to work at the pool at like 6 a.m.? <laughs> it's like the most intimidating thing ever, dude. Well. Shouts out to you. Thank you, man. Thank you. But you've done the Rise Challenge. Yes. You know what it takes to do something like that. That's the work. There are people that do it purely for aesthetics. That's not me. This is a byproduct of the commitment that I have doing the work every single day. I get the results not only from the physical work, but from being committed to eating healthy and all the other aspects of our healthy life. That's why you see this. But man, listen... I have no doubt, like, I can go out there and get it. Like, David Goggins, like, I'm coming. I'm coming. If you want any sort of challenge, man, like, let's go do it. And that's what got me to where I am today. By doing those things that result in this physical manifestation, the, the physique that I have today created the mindset that I needed to accomplish everything that I had to do to get to where I am. And you want to know my perfect pair and match in this is sitting right next to me. I'm not taking my shirt off today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she could, and you would be equally as impressed um, because you are absolutely amazing. Anybody can go on our Instagram, go check out the pictures, go look at the workouts, see the work that we put in every single day and why this is important. I bring it up because, listen, there are so many goddamn frauds out there, right? Like you can't fake this, right? This isn't airbrushed. It's all real and comes from doing the work every day. And I have invited numerous people, you know, to, to come out, to be a part of it, not just to be a part of it, right? Like I have offered to help people improve their physical and mental well-being through the work, right? One in particular that I felt that I needed to make this certain commitment to. And I said, listen, any day, every day, I'm there for you. All you got to do is come out the door. I will meet you there. We can go get it in. Do you know how many times he came? Never. He came one time. Oh. He came one time he showed up once right because he's a fraud he is an absolute fraud and it astounds me that people can't see through it right like the fact is there's a lot of people that talk that put on a good show but when you pull back the covers you see the reality you see that it's not there and you know what you see if you were to pull off his shirt fluffy he's not a snowflake can't call him a snowflake but he's fluffy he is fluffy he is all show and damn it's frustrating go ahead no. say it because i know you're equally as frustrated as well first what? first of all i love this t-shirt jeans laid back version <laughs> of adam that's not all buttoned up cursing yep. like no but seriously sometimes people need to see this for all one person that's left listening <laughs> <laughs> but second of all, no, he's worse than a snowflake because at least a snowflake is sno soft and they melt and they don't have to manipulate people or hurt them to get to where they want to go. And I'm going to stop there because I'm, I'm going to say too much. 
Well, he's a prominent individual in our community, and he has gained the support of all these other prominent individuals in our community who know that he is a fraud, and they do it for their own political expediency. And man, I've been really quiet about it, but anybody that knows us knows exactly who the hell we're talking about, and the guy's a fraud, right? He's a fraud, and for anyone who questions my veracity, anyone who questions my commitment, listen, if, if, if you've got a dog in this race, right? And Aaron talked about that dog, right? That dog, true competitors, they all have it. If you're going to bet on anyone, you'd be a fool to bet against me, <laughs> right? Like you would be a fool to bet against me. So to bet against us after everything that we've gone through to get to where we are today, believe it. Where we are going, there is no one that is going to stop us. Um, you know, others will um, write their own narrative after the fact and say, oh, we believed in you all along. We were rooting for you. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because it's the same people that were like, he's never coming home. What are you doing, honey? Yeah. That are lined up asking, like, tell me what you did. Tell me about the law of attraction. Tell me about this and that. Yeah, it's it's the same thing now. I mean, this is nothing new to us. There have been plenty of people who have opposed us. There have been many, many more who did not believe in us and countless more who humored us and said, yeah, yeah, okay, that's a great dream. Good luck. We'll see ya. You know, and they wrote us off. And hey, that's why we're here. I mean, we're talking about gritability, right? That's what it's all about doing the difficult work every single day. You want to see the results. I'll take off my shirt and show you the results. Ro will do the same. Um, but that's what it is. It's the physical work. Uh, it's having the, the mental fortitude, the discipline, and all of these things. You know, we tell these stories because it's meant to hopefully inspire you um, because despite the trauma, despite all of the negative things that happened in the past, like we have come out of this stronger, more resilient, more resolved, you know, than ever before. Like I thrive off of that level of adversity. Um, and I'm a believer in that, you know, like I went through a period where I'm like, I need to drop all of the negative from my life. I need to just focus on positive you mentioned law of attraction, like only positive. Yes, I, I wake up every night is about gratitude, waking up in the morning, reflecting on all that we have to be grateful and positive for what I'm looking forward to. Yes, but believe me, there is still space in my mind for the negative, for the haters. I love it. I love it. I love when people doubt me. I love when people challenge me. Like it's challenge that really motivates me. It's all of that adversity, all of the anger, all of the frustration, everything that I had is what got me in the gym when I first got to Allenwood. And like the massive gains that I saw over those first couple of years, oh, they were driven by, it was all negative. Like there, there was nothing positive behind me at that point. So there is value within that. It's just learning how do you channel that into something constructive and not allow it? Like if you live in that space, it's not healthy, right? It'll eat you away, but it's good. It's good to have haters. I love it. Bring it on. You want to talk about one of those haters? Let's talk about Tyson. Oh boy. No, I'm sitting here laughing because Dominique, who's listening in, just texted and was like, you guys are going to have a lot of fun cutting clips for this episode. Adam just went off. <laughs> <laughs> So I was distracted. I didn't hear like the last five, I don't know, a couple minutes of what you were talking about. But Tyson, We were just yes. talking about haters. No, I did. I heard the Tyson part. Yeah. So there haters. was- There was a cop in Allenwood when you were living there, when I first started visiting you, who just, he was a hater. Mm. And I don't, honestly, to this day, don't know the background story on why he had such an issue with you. But he made my life a living hell. He made me, not only when I was visiting there- 
But from my very first visit when he was a dick to me, and then he was a dick to me every single time he worked, which was, I think, every weekend that I would visit you there. But moving forward, I carried that with me, and I would have mm. so much anxiety getting into visit, getting processed in, because there was always something wrong with what I was wearing, doing. He had to... I had to park my car in a different spot because I had parked in the wrong spot. He told me, but it was the same spot that I parked in every week. He was just trying to delay me. He let me, go ahead. So you had to deal with him for about a year. Yeah. You live with the trauma of that experience with him for 10 more years. Yeah. What a piece of shit. Like really, because there was absolutely no, even if he had a problem with me, with me, if there was something between he and I, it never ever should have made it to you. Like from a professional standpoint, it never should have made it to you. Just, and from a personal standpoint, like what kind of man does that, right? I remember one time I came to visit you and this is gonna seem so insignificant, but I mean, this was just layered on top of things. And I, the friend that I went with that weekend, we would always dress up for a visit. It's a date, you know, you wanted to look good. And she's like, I just don't feel like getting dressed up tomorrow. I'm going to wear a t-shirt and jeans. And I was like, do you want me to dress down with you so you feel less insecure? And she said, yeah. So I wore a t-shirt and jeans and I had my hair in a ponytail and I had slicked it back and I put, and it, I didn't know what I could wear. I didn't think I could wear a headband because there's metal in a headband and it could be a weapon or something like that. So it was just literally just fabric and it was a headband and I put it on like a workout sweat, sweat uh, headband. And I go in and he's like, you can't wear that headband. And I shrunk because I felt so insecure. My hair was slicked back. I was like, I look like a dog that stuck my head out the window for the whole two and a half hour drive. My hair is like this, but they leave you with a, no choice. Well, I guess your choice is leave and go home after driving those couple of hours or, and for me, two and a half hours was a breeze mm -hmm. compared to the six I would drive at the next location, but, or go in feeling insecure, right? So I went in feeling insecure. 20, 30 minutes into the visit, he says to me, because I took off the headband and they had lockers at that point. Otherwise, I would have had to throw it away. But at that point, you're willing to do anything. So I put it in the locker. He comes to me 20 minutes into the visit. Oh, you were allowed to wear that headband. I just didn't realize it. Like kind of, I don't know, reveling in it maybe. Yep. And he just made me, I just felt so insecure that visit. Again, mm. seemingly so insignificant in the grand scheme. There were way worse things that he did to me, but that sticks out to me the most because it was just, it was just cruel. There was no need. And it makes me mad even now, all these years later, like what a piece of shit, period. You know, and the fact is there were other officers that saw that happening that could have intervened, it should have intervened, should have told them, man, yo, get, leave that woman alone, get back in your lane, but none of them did. He looked like a rat, he acted like a rat. A literal rat, like a, Literally, like a sewer like rat. That's yeah, what his like, face looked like, yeah. and he was just a slimy, dirty dude, always was, never, I never understood what the issue was, it was just one of those things, like he had it in his mind there was something with me and he never let go of it that guy gave me the hardest time always the last time that i ever saw him and i'll explain this it was very very intentional i was coming back i intentionally stayed off the housing unit for the day so that i didn't have to see this guy when i saw him come in on the shift i said ah listen i'm getting out of here i don't even want to deal with this guy let me not put myself in that situation I leave the unit. I'm out all day. It's a beautiful day on the yard. I vividly recall this. I'm walking back across the yard. You know, I got my bag, no shirt on. We're just feeling good, enjoying the afternoon. I'm like, damn, a little bit of sun. Believe me, we're still in a maximum security penitentiary. It's not a great environment. Like you take your little bit of joy where you can get it. I'm walking back with this guy. We just had a great conversation. And here he comes and I watch him. And I'm like, oh, look at this guy. And I see him even from a distance. He catches me and he looks and I can see like a little smirk on his face. And I'm like, no, I'm in my head. There's no, it's nothing. He's not smirking. And when we get up close, he looks at me and he smiles, shakes his head a little bit, puts his head down and keeps walking. And I'm like, no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't do it. But I knew it. 
I knew there was something in that look. I knew he was just that dirty, grimy piece of shit. I went back to my unit and the guys told me, they're like, hey man, hey, he was up there. And there's a rule, right? Like you don't go in somebody else's cell. But the guys knew when I walked in the door that they needed to give me forewarning about what I was going to walk into because they had already seen it. I go up there. My door is open. All of my legal work is dumped on the floor. Everything out of my locker, my food on the floor. He has walked all over it. There's boot prints on it. There's boot prints on my bed. <gasps> yep. And I snapped. Well, for let me add this too, where that's disgusting for anybody, period. But the way that I've been told is that that is like cardinal sin rule number one is you don't put your shoes on somebody in jail's bed. Mm. Listen, he, he broke every, by policy, how they're supposed to conduct searches, like broke every policy, broke everything. And he knows I'm not going... What am I going to do? Call a lieutenant down here? Like, I don't do that. Right? Because I'm still in that mindset. Like, that's sure. this is prison. Like, I'll handle it. When I see this guy, I'll handle it. And if you recall, I made a comment about it that got me sent to the DHO and almost jeopardized me being here as a threat against staff. And I said, no, no. What's DHO? Um, Discipline hearing officer. Because I made a comment and I said something that was perceived as a set threat. And I said, no, no, I said, believe me, if, if it's a threat, like he's going to know and it's going to be directly to him. I'm when I say something, I mean it, period. That's it. But I about flipped out when I saw my cell. And what do you do at that point? I sat there. You know what I mean? I tried to compose myself. I had to clean everything up, put it away, try and do the best that I could put it away, and I knew it was the last day of the quarter, which means they rotate out for at least the next 90 days. So it's the last day of the quarter. He knows that I'm not going to see him, and he knew that he was going back out front, and he was going to be in a, in a place where I wouldn't see him. Yeah, but if you were some crazy inmate on the inside, you would have uh. just waited until the next time you saw it. Like, what an idiot. He knew he was going to be out there for a while, and that's the only reason he did it. He was just a coward. And listen, there are plenty of officers that watch our show, and they're going to hear this, and they're going to be like, man, that guy, well, listen, man, I wish one of his peers would have said something to him to put him in line, because the reality is there are certain lines in prison. The way that our prisons operate now, it's a very clear, it's an us versus them, right? And... Like on our side, like we discipline our own on their side, they don't do anything, right? Like if one of them is out of line, the others don't put them back in line. And I have always had a problem with that, right? If you're in a position of authority, that is your responsibility. Your responsibility is to be that. Like you're, it's the whole thing. Anybody in law enforcement, serve and protect, right? If you see something that's wrong, like... Take care of it, like handle it. That's what you're supposed to be doing. We did a better job on our side of making sure that those things did not happen. And that's a reality. Um, it's also the reason why I'm a part of what I am now with social purpose corrections. I'm working with other former top prison administrators, operators who understand how dysfunctional our system is, largely because of that lack of communication and you know, the existence of adversarial relationships where honestly, like if you have to live and work in an environment with somebody every single day, why wouldn't you want to build at least a professional working relationship, right? Like uh, take a more humanistic approach, have a more compassionate um, view of the other person. Like that's how you change things. But our system is set up to not only create that adversarial relationship, but it also protects individuals like Tyson who are, you know, they're undercover creeps. They're predators themselves. Like he used his position to hide behind and to do what he could to harm us, to make things more difficult than it had to be. And the reality is the guy wasn't built like that. 
right? Like under any other circumstance, he wouldn't have been able to do that, but he was able to hide behind his position in order to do that. And yes, I definitely take issue with that. I don't blame you. Mm. I know you don't. I know you don't like him either. No, he made my life hell for a while. Oh, man, which he was out in that visiting room for a while, right? Mm-hmm. Um, five. Oof. Um, yeah, he was out in the visiting room for a while. I think he worked every vi- every visit. I don't think he was there for the infamous um, stolen kiss. No, I think that was, I'm pretty sure that was him. And I don't know why he was leaning out with us that day. See, I I think if it was him, it would have been terminated. You so, probably would have been in the hole, huh? Yeah, I probably would have been locked up for a kiss. I stole a kiss and went to the hole. In my memory, it was him, but I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But whoever it was. Um, so we're sitting down, and this is early on in our relationship. Yeah. But things have progressed along to where listen like it's butterflies i walk in i'm like oh my god she's sitting over there and hey it's the beginning of visit i get my little hug and i get a kiss and like this is what i'm dreaming about i don't know about you yeah we were like seventh grader (laughs) (laughs) we were only a little bit older than that but um and it's the same thing like the anticipation at the end of the visit because it's at the beginning And at the end, you get that hug, you get that kiss. And the rest of the time, like, you might as well be on the other side of the room because you're all the way on a table across and we can't touch. No, literally, you can't touch because if you get like this, you get yelled at from across the room. Oh, yeah. they Obviously, clearly, you're trying to pass something. So, um, so yeah, no contact, physical distance. And, you know, normally, like, if I have to get up and use a bathroom, I look up. And the officers are on an elevated podium, right? <laughs> like God up there looking down on the rest of us. Can I, can I please, can I go to the bathroom? You may like, wait a minute. So finally I'm like, Hey, restroom. And you know, they generally give you the nod or whatever. And you would often at the same time, Say, okay, you're going to go because I have to go to the back of the room. I have to stand there. I have to wait. You know, like they literally either stand on top of you and watch you. Like, okay, go ahead. Like they're looking right at you. So get comfortable with that. Or they make you strip down and go. Either way, whatever. Over time, you get comfortable with it. It is what it is. Meanwhile, she gets up and goes to the ladies' room. So this is our normal routine. I don't know. Like, I just, we were feeling comfortable. We get up, we both move in the same direction and it just felt natural, right? Like I leaned over and I kissed her and I think I like grabbed your hand. And as soon as I did, I was like, oh shit. And I looked over and I just, I remember the stern look like get to the back of the room. And I'm like, oh God, that's the end of our visit. I don't know if I'm coming back out here ever for a kiss, right? Like, (laughs) so anyways, I walk to the back and I get verbally beaten down the entire time while I'm standing there trying to urinate. And like, do you, do you really want to go back out there? Like talk about someone trying to attack your manhood and make you feel like a child. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe she keeps coming back up here. <laughs> I can't believe I kept coming back up there. But you know what? And were you done with the Yeah. Okay. So they would always try to beat us down and I would always try to take it and learn something flip it positive, right? Because otherwise I wouldn't keep going back there. And mm-hmm. I remember vividly being at the park with my nephew when he was young and it was one of those water parks where from the ground water spits up and he was just being a kid and he was putting his foot over the water where it came out. So the other little girls that were playing there couldn't get the water and my initial response was going to be like Mikey stop and I put myself back in the visit room and I remember being scolded like a little like a child Clausen don't do that Clausen too long of a kiss whatever it was and I just said Mikey come over here and I whispered in his ear I said that's not nice those girls don't like that they're trying to play with the water please don't do that Mm. instead of mortifying him so I think that maybe is because I know we're getting short on time the Mm -hmm. takeaway for for at least that story where you know 
you know, you shouldn't have to deal with being beat down, but we had no choice. It was either shut up, take it. It's it certain at certain points, because there were times where he told me like, if you feel uncomfortable, the time I thought I was going to get strip searched, we could tell that story in an ep- another episode, but you were like, you can leave. You don't have to stay. Yeah. So yes, you have that option. But in instance where I had to take off my headband and throw it in the garbage or put it in a locker or leave, I mean, I'm going to take off my headband, but I'm going to spin that positive and use it as a learning experience in my own life. I love how you can spin things positive. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, or I yeah. or you, if you don't, then what's your alternative? You know, you're just going to become a very miserable, bitter, bitter person. So true. So true. And I appreciate Which we sound like for the past hour. <laughs> we just needed to vent a little bit, right? Like we've kept all this kind of bottled up. Like we don't talk about many of these things. And I've been a little bit reluctant at times, um, but I'm glad we had a chance to cover all of this. It's been another amazing episode of Gridability, the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. That's what we're living. Adam Clausen. And I'm Ro Clausen. We'll see you back here on the next episode. Bye, guys. 